Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Back to the Bins, back to our normal format this week after last week's impromptu, almost, episode. My name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Scott Gardner. And I am full of salad tonight. <laughs> oh, as opposed to full of shit back. every other night? Oh, wow, God, and I, and I set it up too, which is, means it's on my own goddamn fault. Shit. <laughs> this always fucking happens to me. <laughs> Why, God? Why? Um, <laughs> so this week, uh, as I said, we're, we're kind of back to normal. We've got we've each brought a comic. Yeah, you back to normal? Back to your bench. Uh Who's going first this week? Uh, go, man, go. Okay, okay. Well, I have brought a Marvel book since it's my turn. I brought a Marvel book from Marvel's 25th anniversary. As a matter of fact, has a little border of all the Marvel characters around the headshot. Of Daredevil. <laughs> this is issue 236, written by Ann Nascenti, with pencils by Barry Windsor Smith. Oh, wow. And inks by Windsor Smith and Bob Wyacek. And this one is titled American Dreamer. Black Widow listens to a lecture on. Well, this doctor is going on about the brain and the heart and the soul and how that man flails about in the sea of impulses and memories and phobias. And what it boils down to is that this doctor has found a way to twist all of that into a coil that he can direct. But because it's an 80s Marvel book, it like takes three fucking pages to describe this. Not that it wasn't entertaining, but gee, Jesus, it was wordy. Eventually, in through his process, he strips the mind down to its rep, to its core, its reptilian brain. They then move on to Widow's assignment, an experiment named Agent Hazard, who was part of the doctor's experiments in the mind and the heart and the flailing and the reptilian brain, and he's now out of control. Widow's task is simple. Track the guy down and force him to kill himself before he kills a whole bunch of people. Widow leaves the room and has to deal with a bunch of the assholes who work for the same agency she does. They give her endless amounts of shit as she walks by, but unfortunately she doesn't drop each and every one of them like I really wanted her to. She just kind of like, I'm going to hold my head up high and walk through these assholes. Meanwhile, in Hell's Kitchen, Hazard is eating at a diner where the waitress, someone he went to high school with, is basically throwing herself at him as people celebrate the 4th of July outside. Hazard starts going a little bug fuck and nearly kills her by, for now, unknown means. Hazard leaves and runs into a guy lighting firecrackers, and once again, Hazard sees the doctor, as he did inside, and attacks the guy 
without touching him. Daredevil notices this and gets to the scene double quick. Instead of chasing Hazard, he deals with the victim when the Black Widow shows up. They leave because the Widow wants to talk without masks. And after some chit-chat about how Matt has come through his recent troubles with the Kingpin, because this is uh, just a couple of issues after Born Again. And eventually, she agrees to let Matt help her find Hazard. Meanwhile, Hazard is visiting his mother when her nephew comes over. His mother's heart seems to go out for a moment, but she recovers. Later in his room, Hazard talks to the kid about the military, because the kid is really gung-ho about joining. And because he is batshit crazy, hands the kid a machine gun and tells the kid to point it at him and be ready to shoot. Elsewhere, the Widow and Daredevil examine the scene where Nuke, who was part of the whole conclusion to Born Again, went on his own brand of crazy train when Hazard shows up and attacks. It is, res- it is revealed here that through the experiments this doctor went through, Hazard can make you match his own heartbeat and then kill you. After a pretty vicious back and forth, Hazard starts killing Daredevil with this ability. Widow kicks him in the face, but that doesn't even seem to face him. And finally, it comes down to Hazard and the Widow. She has a gun pointed at Hazard, and after talking with him for a bit, they realize what a sad person Hazard really is. He even pulls out what he calls a picture of his wife and family, and it turns out just to be an old insurance ad with, like, you know, mom and dad and baby and a white picket fence. In the end, he forces Widow to pull the trigger and suicides himself. Widow and Daredevil talk about what she is going to tell her superiors, and she decides to tell them that all she knows is that the fireworks went off that day. And back at Hazard's mother place, the boy watches and plays with the machine gun. And that's the end of the issue. Now, I chose this issue because it had kind of a cool cover. It was the head, like I said, it's a headshot of Daredevil. I was not expecting the emotional roller coaster this story was going to take me on. I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the time, I have pretty visceral reactions to the comics I read. Uh, when I really enjoy them, it's more like a you know like a roller coaster ride of yeah, like getting really excited. Uh, like you know, books that we're talking on Tales of the JSA now get me really excited and really pumped up. This made me feel really uncomfortable and really sad. And that that doesn't happen very often, but because of it, I really enjoyed the issue. Because on one hand, my head is going through, like, this seems to be almost not an anti-military story, because it's very pro-soldier in many respects, but this has become kind of a cliche in, in fiction itself of a soldier being experimented on and going crazy and people having to put him down. Right. And that just kind of showing what assholes the people in charge are because they, they let this kind of shit happen. But at the same time, I really felt for agent hazard. I really did. I felt bad for him because he didn't want any of this. He went off to Vietnam to fight for his country and they fucked with him. And now his life is over and he knows it. And he, you know, he, he's kind of going crazy through the whole issue, but there's moments where he's very, very lucid. Like when he goes to see his mother, I said that her heart goes out. He accidentally does that and is able to stop it because he doesn't want to kill his mother. 
because she's one of the few good things left in his life. But that whole scene in his room where he gives basically a nine-year-old a submachine gun and tells him to shoot him, if you know, be ready to shoot him, that's just like, wow, this is really uncomfortable. What's going on here? <laughs> uh, Black Widow is is portrayed very well in this issue. The, the agency, agency she's working for, they never name. But apparently at this point in her career, she had been bouncing from espionage agency to espionage agency. It's hard to say that uh, for some reason tonight. It's during a time when S.H.I.E.L.D. was defunct or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think it's around that. And the guys are giving her shit saying that they can't trust her. Uh, let, let me give you some of this dialogue. I just wanted her to beat these guys' asses. You know, it's like, uh, look, look who it is. Natasha Romanoff, the rusky spy who turned traitor. Black Widow, she calls herself. Yeah, she got one of those superhero names. I hear she used to tumble the spandex with that. Uh, excuse me. I hear, I hear she used to tumble with that spandex exhibitionist daredevil when she wasn't about bouncing around from spy agency to spy agency. Nef- never trusted her kind. The doc sent her out solo to get Hazard. Has must be almost dead. It's just woman's work. And she's just walking through, ignoring them. And I'm just like, she could take all these guys. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I don't care how bad she, badass these guys are. She's a fucking black widow, you know? <laughs> she, she is like the ass kicker to end all ass kickers. But it was just, it was a very sad story to read. And it made, you know, like I was reading it last night before I went to bed. And I actually kind of had trouble going to sleep. Because of all of the th- the emotions it brought up and all the questions and, you know, philosophical arguments that I was having with myself of, you know, how to really feel about the story. But in the end, I have to say, I really like it because of that. Because, you know, I'm not one of these people, I'm one of these people that reads as a form of escapism, but I'm not one of these people that wants to completely turn my brain off. I mean, every once in a while, I just want to pop in you know, uh, an 80s martial arts movie and just watch it, you know? You know, just I just want to see two guys kicking the shit out of each other. This is the kind of day I have. This is how I'm going to decompress. But most of the time, I want to be engaged. And if, you know, and even if, it, if it's engaged on a level of, wow, Superman's doing something really cool, I consider that being engaged. This one forced me to use a whole other set of brain muscles to process it because the artwork's really good the writing was really strong and I just felt for everybody in this issue Daredevil didn't want to fight this guy because he knew he you know it wasn't his fault uh, he didn't like the fact that one of Hell's Kitchen citizens was killed because he considers them you know under his protection you know Widow didn't want to shoot this guy in the face you know he forced her to do it she was there and she was trying like hell to let him live. And finally he just took that decision out of her hands. And I'm like, God, that's got to really fuck with her head. <laughs> you know, what it makes me want to is check out more in Nascenti daredevil, uh, because I hear nothing but good things about it. But if it's like this, then that is something I want to read, but I do not want to read it when I'm in the mood for just like something like popcorn comics, you know? I need to be in the mood to like process shit and really think about it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read this issue. No, no, I, I don't. I don't know that I've read any Nascenti Daredevil, but uh, Nascenti 
to my recollection, is, is one of those writers where everything she writes is kind of like that. Nothing. I don't remember her ever writing anything that I would consider su- standard superhero or standard comic book fare. Everything was was uh, I don't know how to describe it. I was going to say deep, not necessarily deep, but just that almost on that Grant. Yeah, it's almost on that Grant Morrison level of you know she. You know, because I can remember thinking back in the day that she was one of those ones that didn't seem to understand what she was hired for. You know, and it took me a while to come <laughs> to appreciate writers like that, that, you know, didn't seem to get that they were hired to write a superhero book. And they were instead they were writing about their political views or they were writing about, you know, some something that, you know, was using the trappings of a superhero comic book to tell some deeper story or some other meaning or something like that. I can appreciate those kind of things now, but I really didn't as a kid. Um, Uh About the only thing I can remember off the top of my head reading of hers that was written that way, but still completely blew me away. And I loved it was, uh, was long shot. Yeah. I was about to ask uh, uh, if that was the one that you had read, because I know she wrote that with, uh, with Art Adams doing the artwork. Loved that. I was a huge fan of that. As a matter of fact, the first uh, comic convention I ever went to, uh, there was a costume contest and I went as long shots. So that tells you how how big of an influence that had on me at the time. Um, My last note for this is Barry Windsor Smith, his artwork. And this is, Awesome. Oh, he's a great artist anyway. Oh, yeah. man. I, I know that, but his Daredevil is really solid. I mean, it looks great. I'd like to look at that because I was under the impression that uh, that J.R.J.R. did all of uh, Nascent's work on Daredevil. This feels like a, a, like a fill-in almost. Oh, I don't like, have a problem with that. Yeah. But, yeah, no, seriously, I'll, 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 I'll send you a copy. I'd, I'd be cool so with Don Heck it. and uh, Vinny Coletta filling in for, uh, for J.R.J.R. <laughs> Yeah, you don't like him, and I do. <laughs> I liked him when he was good. <laughs> We're going to get letters. Mean. I'm going to get letters. You're going to get letters on that let me, one. Let man. me quantify that to say I'm going to get letters. That's okay. Yeah. I'm prepared. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Mike puts up his hands and puts a whole lot of distance between me and him. Says, no, I'm, no, I'm no. Part no, of that no. hate. <laughs> no, no. Someone comes after you, they come after me. I just don't agree with you. Oh, you got my back, brother? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I got you back. I got that's you back. Awesome. No one's going to fuck with you when I'm around. All right. Except the wife, right. but awesome. that's allowed. Nobody fucks with my wife. She's scary. <laughs> She's all psycho. Uh-oh, here's another episode I can't play in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's what I got. I, I, I really enjoyed it, though. I'm, I'm really glad I read it because it was just a complete random grab, too, which is kind of the you story. brought deep and meaningful and spiritual and moved you down to your core. And I brought goddamn silly to the table with this. one. <laughs> OK, that's, that's OK. Cool. That's cool. That's, that's fine. Okay. It's fine. Now, uh. I don't even know how to... I'm just going to bring this one in as standard. We're going back to May 1982 for this one. This is DC Comics Presents number 45. Has an awesome... Well, actually, not so awesome cover by uh, Ross Andrew and Frank Gia... I hope I'm pronouncing this dude's right name right. Is it Gia Coa? I've always said Gia Coa. Or Gia- I, I, th- I think it's Gia Coa. I Gia- honestly do. But, uh, you know, I say not so awesome, 
because it should be by all rights it should be i love me some ross andrew i really like ross andrew's superman however this one it's just not good it's uh the perspectives are all really wonky and it just really looks rushed like somebody just kind of yeah. slapped it together quick which is kind of the impression i have because this is not the interior art team anyway this is Superman and the Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, and the uh, the cover on this is really really silly. We, we're at kind of a canted angle, and uh, Superman's flying in from one side and getting blasted, and Firestorm's flying in from the other side and getting blasted. And the perspective on Firestorm is really really odd because it looks like he's literally like like crunched into the into the the cover just so that you can see him, but the perspective's all weird. And this really freaky looking guy is saying, you heroes are going to learn something right now. Never cross, crisscross. Nice southern accent. Oh, well, I wasn't trying to do a southern accent, but okay. (laughs) I don't know what I was trying to do. but So anyway, this one is written by Jerry Conway, penciled by, and I swear this man is receiving absolutely no money, and we're not receiving any money from him, nothing like that, but... This one is penciled by Rich Buckler. We've really been singing the Rich Buckler love lately, and we're going to continue to do so. But it's I, what can I say? I love Rich Buckler. I picked this issue up for two reasons. It had it, Rich Buckler art, and it has Firestorm. Well, Superman's in it too, but you know, Firestorm was in it with Superman. So that, that was my reasons for getting this. Um, inker is Bob Smith, who I really like. I dig on, uh, on Bob Smith. Name of this story is The Chaos Network. Okay, I'm going to do my best to make sense of this story, but I apologize right off the bat if it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense because um, it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. So terrorist scumbags have stolen uh, computer components, a plutonium-based power pack, and a U.S. Air Force jet to escape it. Jesus! <laughs> They've been busy. <laughs> so just as they are about to cross international boundaries to sanctuary, the Man of Steel arrives to fuck up their plans. Superman smashes straight through the plane, which is really cool looking, and uses his super breath to send the bad guys out to sea where the U.S. Navy is waiting for them. However, a freak accident claims would-be traitor Christopher Cross as he parachutes down and Superman rushes him down to the flight deck of the USS uh, Rayburn for emergency treatment. Um... Now, what are the chances you think that this uh, aircraft carrier, Rayborn, was uh, actually named for Gene Rayburn? I think that would be very awesome. I'm going to refer to it as the USS uh, Gene Rayburn from now on. The so- USS blank. <laughs> so me on your level, pal. I know what you're talking about. It's all good. I love Gene Rayburn. I miss him. He needs to come back. So meanwhile... Oh, yeah, he's been dead for a long time. Or at least I think so. I don't know. Every time I say that, then it's in the news. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, it's like I when think... he told me Ark Linkletter died. I was like, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought he was already dead. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But it's like, you know, today as we record this, another one of the Golden Girls died. And I'm like, God damn, how many Golden Girls were there anyway? I thought like 50 of them had died already. So, I don't Who know. died? Betty uh, White or... Uh, no, not Betty White. The, uh, the other one. Oh, I loved that show. Oh, really? Yes, I, mean, I, I thought they were all dead except for Betty White. I, I guess my problem is I thought there were only three of them, and there's four of them. So, you know, the other two were just in the news having died recently, and now this woman died. And I was like, so how many Golden Girls were there anyway? But, I, you know, I profess to have never watched that show one time, so I, I really didn't know anything about it. But sorry to drop that on you. <laughs> 
that's just no, that's kind of depressing. <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. We're 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 here to have fun and <laughs> read comics, and we're all out of comics. So. <laughs> so anyway, meanwhile. Firestorm, the nuclear man, fresh off a case, arrives at Concord, uh, Concordance Research and reverts to the two men that make up the one hero, Ronnie Raymond and Professor Martin Stein. Stein, who isn't allowed visitors at work, slips Ronnie out of sight as his boss and an FBI man burst into his office. Stein is under arrest. Christopher Cross was Stein's assistant, and Stein has been implicated in the scheme. The men leave with the professor in uh, handcuffs, and Ronnie, uh, who comes out of hiding, is stunned by this turn of events. That night, Ronnie blows the big basketball game for his team. He can't play for shit when he's... uh, All he can think about is his buddy, Martin Stein, whom Ronnie knows is innocent. See, when he and uh, Stein share the uh, Firestorm form... Uh, they also share thoughts, so Ronnie would know if uh, his, if his friend was guilty or not. So he knows that he's innocent. So he gets tired of brooding, and he's reluctant to face his friends after losing the big game and everything. So Ronnie makes a hasty decision and transforms into Firestorm once again, much to Martin Stein's dismay. Stein, naturally, was in the FBI's custody, and now he fears that they'll see him as a fleeing fugitive. So simmer down, says Ronnie. He says, we're going to go see my pal and fellow Justice League of America League member, Superman. So meanwhile, back out at sea on the USS Gene Rayburn, all kinds of freaky shit is going on as people get burned up, electrical systems fry out, the bridge explodes, the flight deck erupts in flames, and pilotless Navy jet fighters suddenly launch all on their own. In Metropolis, Firestorm materializes right through the wall of reporter Clark Kent's office. The kid is looking for Superman, since uh, Superman was the one who captured Cross in the first place. So Kent pulls the old, hey, what's that over there trick? And when Firestorm looks back, Superman stands there where Kent was a moment ago. But Ronnie Raymond, you know, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer sometimes, and Superman actually has to spell out his secret identity for for. Firestorm. Uh. <laughs> I I love Ronnie Raymond. Oh, I do too. Yeah, he's awesome. I love Firestorm. I really do. So on their way out to sea, Superman spots the jet fighters um, launching missiles at one of our subs. He creates a sonic boom that takes out the missiles. That part I really liked. I thought that was cool. And then he uses seawater and super breath to contain the fallout. Now... This was the first thing that really made me scratch my head. Superman, what the hell fallout are you talking about? Because these weren't nuclear missiles, for one thing. I mean, these kind of jet craft don't carry nuclear missiles, but also they clearly were not nuclear missiles. They didn't have like a nuclear detonation. So I don't, I don't know. I, just, I guess it's just one of those go with it type of things. Firestorm, meanwhile, he takes out the pilotless jets and he says, I quote, just like blasting space invaders in the Times Square arcade. And uh just got me to thinking how much I really miss the 80s. <laughs> I love space invaders. You and me both, brother. You and me both. <laughs> <laughs> so this issue, which up till now has been pretty great, you know, or, or at least pretty cool. Now it takes a serious right turn into complete awkwardness. When Superman backtracks the jets to the aircraft carrier and they make a big deal out of this, 
But isn't that where he and Firestorm were headed in the first place? So I don't know why they even bother to make this whole thing about, you know, I had to follow the trail of the thing. Oh, here's where they came from. And I'm like, yeah, that's where you were going. So anyway, uh, he arrives and the completely ridiculous looking villain, Chris Cross, stands revealed. Now, here's an image for you. This is what he looks like, okay? So you can draw this mental image in your head. Imagine the Malton Man from Spider-Man comics okay. with Burger King grill marks all up and down his body. And you've got a pretty good visual of what this loser looks like, all right? He, he That's just, pretty spectacular. There you go. Yeah, that's pretty much what he looks like. It's really, really silly. But he's given off some kind of radiation that uh, upsets Superman's tummy, and the Kryptonian is down and moaning. And Firestorm takes out the last of the jets just in time to hear Chris Cross's big spiel. He is now, quote, one with technology. And he's going to use satellites to spread his terrorism on a global scale or something like that. So drawing strength and energy from above, Criss Cross batters the Man of Steel. He's got a ridiculous name. That's the worst part of this villain. Does he sing Arthur's theme? (laughs) I just got to know, okay? (laughs) Firestorm... uh, starts using his blast and he takes out uh, many of the, as many of the satellites as possible. And this being 1982 got me to thinking that maybe this explains why the friggin' cable was out constantly when I was a kid, right? So I'm thinking, <laughs> God damn you, Firestorm, you made me miss you can't do that on television. Like one of my favorite shows yes. as a kid. Oh, I had the hots for Moose so bad. I wonder what she's up to these days. So anyway, <laughs> something about her too. She, she looks like she'd go all the way with you. Oh yeah, I think that Not was the part first of the date. interaction. <laughs> yeah, because she wasn't like, you know, like '80s, you know, girl beautiful. I guess is the best way to to refer to that. But uh, man, you you yeah. I'm going to stop now. I used to watch that show religiously just for the episode where they dumped water on her and she was nipping afterwards. That was awesome when I was like a teenager. It was great. So anyway, before I go any further into my my personal escapades, um, so almost out of juice, Firestorm takes out the critical link in the orbital chain and Criss Cross is cut off from his power source just as Superman in a really truly spectacular buckler panel knocks the fertilizer out of the guy so it's that that's a great great panel that panel right there is worth the price of admission for this book so back in stein's office the story is literally wrapped up in five panels when it is revealed with absolutely no explanation what so freaking ever that mr corpley stein's boss and you know i'm just guessing here but he's probably the owner of the haunted amusement park too was behind the whole thing. <laughs> another Scooby-Doo ending, you know, all around, with, complete with a bunch of yuck-yucks as Firestorm fissions back into uh, Ronnie Raymond and Professor Stein to utterly confound the FBI man. And that's pretty much where we leave the story. So I got to be honest, stupid story in the long run. However... It's got some great moments of interplay between um, Firestorm and Superman. I I really have always liked their dynamic together. Mm -hmm. And that plays very well in this. So that part of it does work. 
Whereas the rest of the story is kind of bleh, you know, it's kind of, and not all that, not all that hot. Um, totally worth it. If you're a fan of either of these characters and or Rich Buckler, who really, I mean, his artwork is fantastic in this issue. Mm-hmm. It's really good because I mean, his Superman is always awesome. His, uh, his firestorm is, is great. And the panels of those two, both both separately and together, but especially towards the end of the issue where Ronnie's up in space wasting satellites and Superman is locked. You know, once again, you know, this is this is something that uh, Buckler does very well is showing Superman, you know, in a, in a fight with somebody who's holding their own or even has a, has an edge over Superman, because for a time in this story. Chris Cross is actually wailing the shit out of Superman because he's more powerful than him. He's drawing all this juice out of the out of the satellites, so that's worth it. Even though, as I say, the the story's kind of kind of stupid. But a uh, couple other quick things. I just love the ads in this one. There isn't any hostess ad, unfortunately, but uh, there is the really awesome. Um, I wish I knew who who drew this picture, but it's really nice. It's the painted poster for the Swamp Thing movie. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Adrian Barbeau, I love that. It's on the inside front cover. There is uh, a DC house ad here. Dazzling doings from Dynamic DC. And uh, we've got uh, an ad for... This is Legion of Superheroes, but I think this is when Legion of Superheroes went to the digest size books. We've got uh, one of the books of uh, when Wonder Woman did that three-issue crossover thing where she teamed up with all the the other superheroines that led up to issue 300 didn't it or uh, it was in that wheelhouse i don't it's know the it, book of something i forget yeah. what it was called yeah but i know exactly what you're talking about we need to cover that at some point because i do believe that both power girl and the huntress are part of that story some kind of look well, we, we got to cover wonder woman 300 because it's the first appearance of fury oh cool uh awesome. i did not know that we got uh, an issue of Cat- Thank you, who's who? <laughs> We've got uh, a Superman issue. Kandor lives again with this big, this this monster guy who looks like one of those little, uh, what are those little fuzzy-headed PVC characters that, that girls always collect? You know what I'm talking about? Trolls? Trolls, yeah. He looks like a troll, and he's, he's about to smash Can- Bottle City of Kandor on the ground. I was about to say, this is either trolls or Monchi cheese. So. No, trolls. It's trolls. An issue of uh, House of Mystery with I Vampire, which I need to I need to dig those out and finish reading that because I, I really like that one I reviewed. For yeah, because you made it seem really awesome. It was good. It, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I like vampire stories anyway. I mean, you know, like good vampire stories, not like that, like Twilight shit or something like that. But um, all letters can be addressed to. <laughs> there's another uh, house ad that's it's just it, it's just two books. It's split top and bottom, but I, this was worth pointing out. The saga continues because you demanded it. And it's uh, an ad for Saga the Swamp Thing number one, which I really like the cover on that. And then the one at the bottom is uh, the first ad by uh, Pat Broderick for Fury of the Firestorm. So this story with uh, Superman and Firestorm actually takes place pre-Fury of Firestorm number one, which I thought was really cool because they used the the Fury of Firestorm logo in this, uh, you know, on the cover of this and on the inside front cover for, uh, you know, for identifying Firestorm. Lastly, back cover. I love this. Free 
Lone Ranger Western Town. And I got to look into this because I was speculating about this a while ago on some other show. Why the hell didn't I get this when I was a kid? And I got to thinking, maybe it's not as simple as I was remembering it to be. You know, Because I was thinking it was one of those deals where you just sent in like the proofs of purchase and they sent you the thing. And I thought, well, maybe they asked for money. And back in the day, I used to have a lot of trouble getting my parents to fork out any sort of money for mail-away stuff. But I got to looking at this. Nope. All you had to do was send in four proofs of purchase from Legend of the Lone Ranger, Lone Ranger action figures. I had every single figure. So why didn't I send away for this thing? It's really cool. It's this I, uh, like, little western town set. I got a couple mail-away figures. Remind me to tell you about the Admiral Akbar story at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd like to hear that. Yeah, see, I, I think I sent away... While I was actively collecting them as a kid, you know, the original Kenners, not, not the later yeah. stuff, but as I was collecting the original Kenners for the original trilogy, I don't think I ever missed a mail-away offer of any kind because I got not only figures, but I also got – there was one time you could send away for this uh, – like it was like an accessory pack that came with oh, yeah, I remember a that. backpack that Luke wore to carry Yoda. It came with a whole bunch of blasters and stuff. It came with at least three – breath masks like uh han chewy and leia oh, outside wow. in the asteroid cave all that stuff that was a mail away offer there were there were a bunch of different ones but i don't know why i didn't send away for this one i really wish i had because it looks cool but i had all these figures i had the lone ranger i don't think i had their horses but i had the lone ranger <laughs> general george custer uh, Buffalo Bill Cody, Butch Cavendish, and Tonto. And I still somewhere I still have all these guys. And I think there might have even been one more figure. I'm not sure. But anyway. Butch Cavendish. What a I, name. Yeah. I just I have a soft spot for not only the Lone Ranger, but especially for that movie. I'm I'm a big fan of the Legend of the Lone Ranger. Despite what anybody says, that is a good movie. Don't let anybody tell you different. So that's that's all I got for this one. Now we uh we want to do Oh, I, I just have a question oh, for ahead. you, Scott. Uh huh. You mentioned uh, the Saga of the Swamp Thing. Where can people hear you talk about you can hear the Saga us of the Swamp Thing? Go on and on and on and on about Saga of the Swamp Thing on the uh, third Monday of every month on Two True Freaks. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about that while you were talking about the uh, the experimented soldier with superpowers type of thing in the in the Daredevil story. That sounded a lot like, I think it was issue eight. Of I'm of the vaguely remembering. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about? about. Yeah, yeah, same type of thing where where these Vietnam veterans were exposed to something that gave them like wacky mind powers, and they created this island out of whole cloth and all that. It was not near as cool as the uh, Daredevil things. Not wacky mind powers. <laughs> wacky mind powers. The best kind. <laughs> Free and Fruit Loops. Wacky mind powers. So, do we want to go into? Uh, some emails? Yeah, let's knock out some emails. I'll. Uh... Lord knows we got enough of them. Well, you you take the first one because it's uh, it's addressed to you. So. Oh, is it? Oh, it is too. All right, this one is uh, entitled "Team Titans," not "Teen Team" with an M. Team Titans, episode number fifty-two. It's going back a little ways. I apologize about the uh, emails, by the way. We need to get to them in more timely fashion, but sometimes we have to sacrifice them to stay on time. But uh, we are going to uh, try to get caught up here a little bit. So anyway, this one says, Scott says, thanks for reading my email on the air, and I just wanted to answer your questions about the Titans books. Off the top of my head, I believe my first letter was in... Oh, this is by uh, Tom... How did we agree to pronounce this name? Is it Panaris? Uh, he says it right at the end. Oh, does Panaris. he? Panaris? Like the, like the candy. Yep, you're right. Panaris. Okay. 
Uh, so he says, uh, off the top of my head, I believe my first letter was in New Titans number 85, and I know that I had a letter in the very last New Titans issue, number 136, I think, he says, as well as uh, a mention in the letter column of Team Titans number 24, the last issue of that series. My friend Harris and I used to write in and would end every letter with, please kill Donna Troy? In fact, we called ourselves people for the death of Donna Troy. I don't think we actually wanted her dead. It was just a gimmick we came up with to maybe get a few letters published, and it actually worked. Hey, that's actually a really good idea, because I was just going to say, man, what was your problem with Donna Troy? I, I, would, I would go so far as to say Donna Troy kept me reading Titans for a very long time, actually much longer than I probably should have enjoyed. Been. Was it Donna Troy or the body of Donna Troy? Well, there you go, yeah. Okay. To be, to just, be honest. <laughs> just asking. As for Team Titans, this was actually my favorite book for a while, mainly because after New Titans number 100, when Bell, Bill Jaska took over on pencils, I could barely stand reading that. Yeah, I agree with you. That that sucked. The art sucked anyway. I thought, I thought the stories remained solid throughout the end of that run. I really do believe that. But yeah, the art got really atrocious. If this is the guy I'm thinking of, it was really bad. Uh, I could barely stand reading that book, and I thought that Jeff Jensen and Phil Jimenez's writing, as well as Jimenez and later on Terry Dodson's art, was excellent. Absolutely. Team Titans was also, well, different than things like the X-Books and anything that Image was putting out at the time. I enjoyed the non-action stuff, the drama of those teenagers from an alternate future who cannot return home and are forced to adjust to life in our modern world. That, and I believe this is where Donna Troy and Terry Long divorced, and if I recall correctly, it wasn't a bad storyline. No, it wasn't. I thought it was really good. says, then again, I haven't read those books in years, and now I have uh, may have to uh, on a day when I've been cleaning the house. My wife thanks you for making me take more stuff out instead of putting it away. <laughs> By the way, uh, interesting side note, Jeff Jensen, the co-writer of that book, is now writing for Entertainment Weekly. He's Doc Jensen, the magazine's resident expert on Lost. I didn't make the connection until a couple of years ago when he wrote an article about comic book movies and he mentioned that he got his start writing comic books. Yeah, I'm going to stop right there for a moment. I actually talked to my wife about this because, uh, you know, she was a huge Lost fan. And I knew that she read these Entertainment Weekly articles religiously. So I actually asked her about that. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that guy. And then I was telling her that, oh, yeah, you know, he wrote one of my favorite comics, you know, back when I was a kid. And so it was cool. It was a little bit of something that we could actually come together about a little bit because my wife... And she rolled her eyes and... <laughs> Gave you that look. Oh, no, not that time. Yeah. <laughs> Every other time, but not that time. So he uh, continues here. He says, anyway, that's enough of me, uh, some random listener, going on about his experience with one comic. But since my very first Titans issue was number 71, that era is very special to me, especially since I stopped buying Titans-related books a couple of years ago because I was disappointed in Sean McKeever's writing which is too bad I loved The Waiting Place. And Jun Judd Winnick's Titans series made me want to claw my eyes out. Maybe I'll hunt down in 50-cent bins one day. What would you say, amen? 
I said good man. Oh, good man. <laughs> oh, and don't worry about butchering my name. My teachers and now my students have been doing it since I was eight, but it's pronounced Panaris, just like the candy. Panaris, just like the candy. See, I can't even do it. I'm sorry. I can't read. All the best, Tom. He says, P.S., don't feel you, ha- uh, you have to read this on the air. You'd ask, and I felt I'd write back to answer. Okay, well, I won't read it on the air then. Very good. <laughs> You're up. Okay, we got one from Charlie Niemeyer. It says, uh, Deja Vu. Mike and Scott, I'm currently listening to the latest number 52, and I had to pause to write in again. The first email you read was one of mine, asking your opinion on Alpha Flight and Burns Namor, and you both commented, Scott especially, that you could have sworn that you went over that already. Well, actually, you read the same email a few episodes prior. (laughs) Not sure which one exactly, and talked about both comics then also. Hilarious. I knew we were going to fucking do that. Um, Anyways, thanks for the laugh. I'm heading back to the episode now. (laughs) <laughs> that just means we'll send him a bill twice. Uh, exactly. What do we got here? Do you want to do this one or do you want me to do this one? Uh, I'll do this one. You got off light with the last one. Yes. <laughs> this one is titled Old Comics. It's from Paul Spataro. It says, Hi, Scott and Mike. You get top billing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eh, age before beauty. This is to further a point that Scott and I were discussing in a Facebook thread. It's also a subject that I touched on in a previous letter to views. As I indicated back then, I started collecting comics in the early 70s. I had two older brothers, so I had read comics for a while before I realized that I wanted to collect them. But once I did, I jumped in feet first like most of the OCD people of our fraternity. <laughs> Amen. I continued collecting until I finished college in 1984 and then took about eight years off before I got back in. I have found that if you collect long enough, you have to allow for changes in the focus of the companies that produce the book. The reality is that the books that I want to read are no longer re- being written with me as a target. The characters inevitably go through retcons and personality changes that destroy the iconic nature that you create in your mind. Ultimately, it becomes necessary to rid yourself of the collector's mentality. It's no longer important to have every issue of a series or every appearance of a character. Instead, it becomes important to seek out good stories or story arcs and watch for the quality creative teams. Sadly, continuity becomes a victim in this process. There are still quality books out there for someone with my sensibilities, but I'd have to work a little harder to find them. Back in the day, I was able to collect virtually every comic book of importance that was published on my $5 a week allowance. Damn, that sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Tuesday used to be the day the new books came in at my candy store at the corner corner of Avenue R and Nostrand Avenue in Brooklyn. Usually I'd... I wonder if Tom DJ knows where that is. Uh, Usually I'd still have a little left to do other things. God, I'm sounding like my father telling about how he'd go to the movies in the late 40s. No, I love this because it sounds like... uh, It sounds very familiar to me, actually. Mm. Very familiar. Yeah. Hey, you know, back in my day, $5 got me a couple comics, a Fifth Avenue bar, and a Big Gulp at the 7-Eleven. I, I, you uh, know, I, I use this argument to, or that fact of the $5 allowance. I throw that in my mother's face whenever she really pisses me off about how great my childhood was. I'm like, you try building a comic collection on $5 a freaking week, you know? <laughs> um Times weren't necessarily better back then, but it was a better time to be a fan because it wasn't a business yet, and the comics were directed to me and accessible 
by me. I still have shelves filled with long boxes in the basement. When I dive back into the old stories, sometimes I'm filled with a nostalgic warmth, and other times I'm horribly disappointed with how my memories of quality have betrayed me. <laughs> One example of the latter is the JLA-JSA Legion crossover that you guys recently dissected on your other podcast. I haven't read that in years, but recalled reading it multiple times and loving it when it was new. Sadly, my memory was far better than the reality of those books. Yeah, I've had that experience, too. Rereading old books or discovering them for the first time requires that you immerse yourself in the era in the era, excuse me, in which the books were was published and forgiving the outdated storytelling methods of that era. If you can do that, quality can still shine through. Back in the seventies I went through most of the mainstream wisdom. My favorite writers were Jerry Conway, Steve Englehart, Marv Wolfman, and Roy Thomas. Stan wasn't writing anymore, but over time I pretty much read and loved all of his Silver Age books. My favorite artists were John Romita Sr. and Neil Adams. I didn't truly appreciate Kirby until later. I must have read Origin of Marvel Comics and its sequels hundreds of times. Looking back, most of the books that hold up for me personally are the ones that had a significant scope at the times. I can reread the Galactus trilogy, the Kree Scroll Roar, the Kree Scroll War. Damn you, Marvel Comics. The Avengers <laughs> Defenders War, the Celestial Madonna Saga, the Death of Gwen Stacy, Neil Adams' run on the X-Men, the original Thanos issues in Captain Marvel, and the Avengers and many others over and over again. Yeah, I was a Marvel zombie and didn't discover T- DC until later. The common thread that I find is that most of those books appear to have been written with a respect for their readers and not written down to a perceived unsophisticated audience. Early in my collecting, Marvel experimented with its line of giant size books, which were generally published on a quarterly basis. Looking back, almost all of those hold a special place for me. One of my favorites of all times is the Giant Size Superstars number one, which featured an attempt by Reed Richards to cure Bruce Banner, which ultimately resulted in the Thing and the Hulk with their minds in each other's bodies, slugging it out in a ring in Madison Square Garden. Silly? Yes. But enthralling, and Rich Buckler's art was never looked better. Oh that, my god, that, I have to read that. That is a great book. I just tracked that one down, I'm thinking maybe two years ago, and it was great. It, he's, he's absolutely right. Great book. Uh, I read my Superman-Spider-Man team up until it was totally worn out and could have enjoyed your episode on that book more. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Are you planning to do the Superman Muhammad Ali book? Absolutely. At some point, yes. Another staple of that era that has sadly faced, faded is the team-up books. Marvel Team-Up, Marvel 2-in-1, Brave and the Bold, and DC Comics Presents. While these are commonly viewed as simple tales with no long-term continuity ramifications, they contain many, many quality stories. I don't know if these would translate well to your show, as, as most of the really high-quality stories took place in multiple issue arcs. We've... We've gone over Brave and the Bold a couple of times. I think Brave and the Bold is the most covered thing we've, yeah. we've you know, if, if you know, recurring thing. I think that series has been uh, well, covered the most on this particular program, just just by happenstance. Happenstance and the fact that we both like Aparo and we both like Brave and the Bold, and they lend themselves to the one issue, one and done story. Uh, element that we kind of like to talk about on the right. show. So let, let me. Add, I want to throw that question out to the listeners real quick. Um, I would like to know what you guys think about. You know, I really do try to make an effort to be diverse on this and not just cover 
um, the same things over and over again. You know, I, I try not to have too much Superman, too much Batman, you know, too much Spider-Man, you know, the predictable things. However, at the same rate, I don't want to be too much off the beaten path either and lose people because they're not interested in some, you know, wacky thing. Or, you know, we even had that one piece of feedback one time saying, you know, when you guys talk about non-Marvel and DC books, I could give a shit. You know, and I totally appreciate that, that uh, feedback. I really do because I, I, to a large degree, I'm one of those people. You know, I really don't care too much about things outside of Marvel and DC. I really don't care too much uh, about things outside of superhero comics. So I, I need that kind of feedback. Um, if there's a particular comic you, or character that you feel like we've just covered too much, please let me know, and I'll, I'll make an effort to stay away from that for a while. But I just want to know, basically, how, how do you guys feel like we're doing as far as diversity of, of titles and characters? I, I just would like to know out of, out of curiosity. <laughs> I, I, I have to agree with that. I want to know because, you know, I know you just covered a Daredevil one a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. but I was never a big reader of Daredevil, which is why I chose it. So what? I hope it doesn't seem like we're trying to repeat ourselves, but at the same time, this is just something that grabbed me no, and, I, and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk about it. And the whole reason I, I was both sent that issue, cause Chris Honeywell sent that one to me. The reason I was sent that issue and the reason I read that issue is because it's really more of a Punisher story than it was a political mm-hmm. story. And I'm a, I'm a Punisher fan. And I think that I could be wrong, but I think it was the first Punisher thing. I no, I take that back. I covered Punisher, the max Punisher number one, way, way back a while back. But, uh, but anyway, I can go on and on and probably will in future emails, but it will, we'll, we'll call it quits at this point. Anyways, keep up the good work. I'm pretty much enjoying all of the shows that you're both involved in. Unfortunately, due to the fact that my day is limited to 24 hours, I do miss the occasional episode when life gets in the way, but I've caught, a, caught almost all of them. Best wishes, Paul Spataro. And he includes two autographs. One is a John Romita Sr. sketch of Spider-Man's head. And the other it says, to my pal, Paul Spataro, Excelsior, Stan Lee. Those are cool. Those are very mm-hmm. cool. Really appreciated those. Those were neat to see. Thank you, Paul. And thanks for sending those images. I like seeing stuff like that. And if I, if I remember, I won't make any promises because I, I know I'm horrible about this. I will admit it right up front. But I try to remember when I say things like, oh, yeah, and I'll throw a link up in the show notes. And then I, I nine times out of ten, I totally forget to ever do that. But if I remember to do it, with your permission, I'll throw up uh, these images in our show notes as well. But I'll more than likely forget because I suck at that kind of thing. But uh, also, if you give me just a moment here, I just thought of something. I can't believe I never thought of this before. Um, my, my good friend, Chris Honeywell, my co-host over on Two True Freaks, I want to get him a book. I want to find a book for him so that we can cover it at some point because it meant a, it, it meant a lot to us as kids. I don't. Maybe he just never had a copy. He either never had a copy of this book and we shared mine, or he had one and he lost it or sold it or gave it away or something. But I'm looking for a book for him. And a while ago, I was like this close to going on to Facebook and putting out a call you know, for assistance trying to find this book. And then right at the time I was going to do it, he joined Facebook. And now I know that he monitors or, you know, he sees what's what I post and what's posted to my profile. 
So I want to do this without him knowing about it. And I'm 99.9% sure he does not listen to Back to the Bins only because the, the topic, you know, the subject matter usually doesn't interest him. You know, he's just not a mainstream superhero kind of guy. So I would like to call on our awesome listeners because you guys truly are awesome. I, I can't believe how uh, interactive you are with us. And I really, really appreciate that. I'm not asking for any freebies. Nobody go out, buy this thing, and send it to me. That's not what I'm asking for. I just want you to be my eyes in the field. If you guys see a book called Destroy, it's called Destroy with two exclamation points. It is the largest oversized comic ever made. And this is what what made me think of this was when he was talking about like Superman and Muhammad Ali. Um it was put out by Eclipse Comics back in, I'm pretty sure this was like the mid to late 80s, maybe early 90s, but I'm thinking it was mid to late 80s. It was done by uh, Scott McCloud, who did Zot. It's a black and white book. And it is just freaking hysterical. It's my favorite superhero fight of all time because it's just completely ridiculous and over the top. And I want to find a copy of this for Chris so that um, so we can cover it at some point, do a whole special on it. So if you guys can find that book out there somewhere at a reasonable price, I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to pay more than like, I think he said like 10, 15 bucks, something like that. Just let me know, you know, check your LCSs or where, wherever you go. If you happen to chance across one, just give me a holler. Like I say, don't, don't go ahead and buy it and send it to me or anything. Cause that's not what I'm asking for. I'm just saying, if you, if you happen to spot one, drop me a line and say, Hey, you know, Joe's comics or whatever, you know, they've got one for 10 bucks or just, you know, that sort of thing. So please, I would very much appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact back to the bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of the comicforums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com and is a registered trademark of DeManzacor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.